0: All right. So this morning, um, sorry, that, no, this This morning, when I woke up, um, I was um, just looking on my phone, and uh, I'm a part of a prophetic sort of network thing, and then some, so, you know, some prophecies came up about about the demise of the established church and all this kind of stuff, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I kind of felt a sense of heaviness and sadness kind of came over me because it's like, you know, we. Uh, if it wasn't for the established church, we wouldn't even be here. Actually, you know, they've been going for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and we haven't. And uh, we've been going for 11 years. You know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And I think, you know, I've got a lot to be thankful for. And, you know, and I, and I do believe over the next few years, we're going to come into some quite difficult times as a nation and also as the church. And you know, we're going to probably see a lot of um, churches close and disappear because of financial reasons and stuff. And that, and that, to me, I think is a heartbreaking thing. It's a sad thing. So I know some Christians will be like, yay, they've gone. But actually, I, I don't think it's a pleasant thing. You know, I know some churches need to close because they're not, you couldn't even really call them Christian by their orthodoxy and their doctrine anymore. Uh, but even so, it still kind of breaks my heart. And so I was thinking this morning and just in my, in my prayer studio, just praying and, and seeking God. And, and, and as I was thinking about it, I me and Tracy spoke about it as well. Like, you know, if the church does have to radically change. So everything goes from this kind of model to a more kind of home group, house group ch- or house church sort of thing. What would that look like? What do I do anymore? Um, and so, you know, and I had to really think about that and, and stuff. And, so, and I was praying about it. And then this morning in my uh, daily readings, it actually came up to that particular issue. So uh, I thought today I'd do a little bit of teaching about leadership. Because why? Because you don't know. But hey, this room might be full of the leaders of tomorrow. Or the leaders of next day, next next year. You just don't know. And people obviously listening to these broadcasts, there's a lot of people I meet that have a great interest in down with the established church and up for the house group. And I'm like, uh, I'm not I'm not so good if that's a quite the right motivation. But nevertheless, God will just use anybody. And I know that God will use anybody because if he can use a dumbass to speak to Balaam, then he can use me and he can use you. Amen? I ain't no dumbass. Okay, right. So... But God can use anything and anybody. All you have to be is willing. Uh, But God will take you where you're at and he will use you. Uh, And so this is why we we need to come to the table And I'm speaking to us, but I'm also speaking to people listening to these broadcasts. And that is, if if God is calling you to, 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 to lead a church or to lead a house group or lead a home group or something like that, it is actually a big deal. And the bar has been set high, actually. If you want to be just an average congregation member, the, you know, the bar is still high for you. I personally think it should be high for uh, people not in leadership as those in leadership. But we do expect those in leadership to be set to a certain standard. Do I get amen? amen? You know, when our politicians let us down and they're up to all kinds of things, we know that actually they are not worthy of the office that they're holding because of their lifestyle. Um, so, you know. And it's the same with with church leadership as well. So I'm going to speak a little bit about this because this is not something that you often hear taught. It's normally only kind of really taught to people who are going into ministry. But I wanted to lay a platform because there's just a lot of um, holy grails out there. What's a holy grail? A holy grail is if I could just do it this way. It would have the anointing of God upon it, and it would be so blessed, and, and if only we could do it like the early church did it. Have you heard that one? If we could get back to the early church. Right? I've heard that so many times, and I've read the writings of the early church. Read, read the church fathers from AD 100 to AD 400. It was a mess, an absolute mess. There was heresy. There was, do you know that heresy was so strong in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd century church, it nearly wiped out Christianity. Arianism, Jehovah's Witnesses, there's that theology. It nearly wiped out all of Christendom. Most people don't even know that. And if it wasn't for the likes of people like Constantine and Athanasius, we probably wouldn't even be here. I don't like Constantine, that's that Roman Catholics. It's not. Just just stop reading pseudo-historical stuff and actually read some real history. Because you'll find as you do that a lot of the things that you think you know is not actually true at all. So that's what I want to do today. I want to slay some sacred cows and, uh, because, because it's time to slay them. Because you might be the leaders of next year or whatever's coming. And so you need to be ready, you need to be prepped and you need to know that there are no holy grails. I do quite a few conferences every now and then. I go travelling around and I meet a lot of people that are like they are just into house church. They think that's the model, that's the model, that's got a way, that's the early church model, that's the way it's gotta be. But it's interesting as I sit with these people and I chat to them and they're like, oh, we started this house church a couple of years ago, but I don't know, it's just, it, I'm just frustrated. As a leader of it, I'm just really frustrated. And I'm like, say, I say, so it didn't quite do what you thought it was gonna do? No. And I say, I'm quite blunt with them. I say, you know why? And they go, why? I said, because you thought that house church was a holy grail. And people around this guy were like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we thought. We thought that if we didn't do it the way like those big, bad, evil leaders do in big, bad, evil churches, if we, if we moved away from that model and we just did it in our homes, that somehow God would bless it. Do you, do you, uh, and this is why I'm, I'm being blunt with you all. Do you think God has a problem that when you get into a geophysical space that's slightly larger than your living room, that God's presence isn't interested. <laughs> I'm going in there. It's not it's too. It's much too big. I don't like big churches. I only want to do small churches, little house churches. I don't do big anymore. I only do little small places. Do you honestly think that's how God is? throughout all of church history and it's like, oh yes, but church buildings they're of the devil, they come about with Constantine and the Roman Catholic Church that came and dom- dominated the world and we're all sold over to a Babylonian myth and slavery it's just a load of rubbish the reason why you didn't have church buildings in the early church because you wouldn't want to put a big church building in the middle of a town say, put a big sticker on it saying, hey, all the Christians you're trying to persecute, we're in this one big building, come and get us and then suddenly, when, when uh, Christianity came into a place of peace with Rome, and you, and you need to understand that it wasn't actually Constantine, although Constantine made it a, a, the faith of Rome, you need to understand that most of Rome was already Christianized. It became politically damaging. I've read documents where the Romans were, were saying, We can't keep doing this. We can't keep persecuting the Christians because if we do so, we're persecuting our own people. This is ridiculous. And of course, then when Constantine had his conversion experience, then he made it as, as the actual religion of Rome. But you need to understand about Rome, as Rome were uh, pan, panentheistic, they, uh, and uh, they believed in lots of different gods, and God was in this, and God was in that. And so you need to understand that Christianity was not a nice thing. You could just like, hey, we can just bolt this onto Rome. This would just, just be so great, because Christianity was anything but. Christianity was considered the intolerant religion. Just like Judaism, there is only one God. Yeah, but we worship Zeus and, and you worship Isis and Isis, uh, whatever his name is. You worship, We worship Zeus and you worship that other person. But, you know, we're okay with that and you're okay with that. But the Christian isn't. Yeah, there's, there's no other God except the one true God. There is, you know, what you're worshipping is an idol. So, so for Rome to, like, take on Christianity as though it was some kind of, hey, we can just add this to our great pantheon of all these, it just wasn't like that. And if it wasn't like that, why did so many Christians lay down their lives for it? So anyway, so when Constantine came about, he then said, he kind of moved Rome into two parts. You have the original Rome, and then he said, hey. So he went to a place called Constantinople, named it after himself, I guess. And then they started building up church buildings all over the place. And that's where church buildings came from. It's just an evolution. Because we know also from early historical records that the early church... They didn't meet in Aunt Flo's council house in Jerusalem, they met in, they met in quite large houses with large rooms so they could get 50 to 80 people in there. And these rich people had then put baptism fonts into their house and an altar. And so we know this because there's a thing, there's people called archaeologists who find this stuff out for us. So, but of course, there were small churches as well, but we know that the church in Jerusalem was at least 5,000 strong. We know that the church of Ephesus was at least 5,000 strong. We know the church of Laodicea was enormous. I mean, there were so many churches in the city of Laodicea, and one of the churches took up the whole length of, of of a street in that city. So Christianity was doing very well, and it was growing and growing and growing. So I just want to dismiss and slay the sacred cow that if you do it in a small space, that somehow God is going to bless it. And you know why I know it, that it isn't true? Because I look at statistics. I think, okay, let's have a look at the statistics and say, what if people are doing house churches only at the expense of normal church, as we would call it. So let's see, is God really blessing it? Because surely God will bless it, right? They'll be having massive revival, etc. Is it true? In the Western world, I looked at the statistics, whether it's a Hebrew roots church, or whether it's this kind of church, or whether it's a house church, or whether it's an Anglican church, all that. I looked at the stats, and I couldn't see any particular one model doing any better than any other model. It's a sacred cow. If only we could get back to the first century church. Well, read some first century literature by people like uh, Ignatius, Polycarp, Irenaeus. do some history reading, and find out the mess that they were in. And find out how they did church because I think a lot of people would not be very happy if they realized what church was like in the first century because it's hardcore I mean it was hardcore man and their leaders were hardcore you see their leaders were trained uh, so that they would want martyrdom so if you were a church leader you were basically putting a target on your back saying yes I accept this responsibility of being a church leader, and you, I'll put a target on my back, so I'll be the person that Rome can come and get. Because you need to understand the way the Romans worked. They thought militarily, so their, their principle was take out the top man, and the whole organization will fall, fall apart. So they took out the bishops. There were early popes in church throughout church history. If you became a pope, that was really bad news, because you only lasted a few years, and then you're dead. So... So that's how Rome operates. They keep taking out the, the main leaders within, within these organizations of Christendom. And, but it never worked. Just another one popped up and another one popped up and another one popped up because they trained them well. And that was you live and die for Christ. And if you want to be a church leader, you're putting a target on your back and you probably won't live very long. So anyone here want to be a church leader today? All right, here in the West, it's nice and cushy and nice and easy. But I thought I'd just look at a few scriptures today as well. Um, So we're going to look at, uh, where is it? This is from Apostle Paul's writing to Titus. This is Titus chapter 1, verses 7 to 11, and Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. I'm just going to kind of work my way through this. So your translation will say something different. So this one says bishop your might says your might uh, say elder or presbyter. And it says the bishop or elder as God's steward must be blameless. The first qualification if you want to be in leadership You know, whether it's in a house church, a home church or whatever, because we are coming into a season where there are going to be lots of house churches and home churches everywhere. Why? Because if the big churches have to close down, then the the onus is on everybody to take up the slack. Okay? because there will be a lot of slack and there'll be a lot of people be wanting to get saved. But if you do things in a small house and suddenly 20 people get saved, what are you going to do about it? Again, extension, because God doesn't like extensions, because that's a bigger house. Right? What are you going to do? Are you going to well, we're just going to plant lots of smaller, smaller ones. Okay, that's fine. That's, that will work. But then what happens when they grow too big? And then what kind of leadership structure are you going to have? We don't want to do leadership because that's of the devil. It's like, no, it's in the Bible. It's biblical. That's, that's, that's Babylon. That's all that stuff. We don't want any more of that. And you've got to be careful. I'm speaking to not people here, but people listening to this. So what are you reacting to? And that's a problem, because if you're reacting to something, you're going to do a knee-jerk reaction against it, and chances are you're going to push people off the other way. I see this time and time again. This is why we have denominations, because something happened, God moved, there was a reaction to it, and then everyone went went off and did their own thing. So some denominations stayed in the past and others moved on. But in the process of doing that, every denomination that kind of moved on from the past, unfortunately jettisoned off something really important of its own identity in the past as well. Until we get to where we are today, where, you know, we've been around for 11 years, we've got no history, we don't know where we come from, we don't know anything about anything apart from our Bibles, and that's about it, you know. But if I go back throughout history, the churches get richer and richer and richer and richer. So every time we have a knee-jerk reaction, we actually conquer and divide ourselves. So the bishop, as God's steward, must be blameless. And so we have to understand that when we come to leadership, you have to look at your heart and say, is my heart right? Is my motivation right? Am I pure in what I'm doing this? Am I doing this because I want to stick it to the man? Am I doing this because I think I could do a better job than anyone else? And, th- and Jesus, thank you, Lord, I'm here because if it wasn't for me, Lord Christendom would fall apart. Is it, is it, you know, those kind of attitudes. But I meet people like this a lot. And I know this because I used to look in a mirror and I found one of those guys looking back at me. I used to be such an arrogant little upstart. I thought, I'm the radical one for Jesus. I'm radical, hallelujah. And none of like, these other Christians are all old and boring. They're not radical, they're just boring. You know, they've settled down in our lives. But I'm young and I'm radical. No, what you are is arrogant and stupid. <laughs> and I can say that because if I got a time machine, and I went back into the past. I would literally grab myself and give myself a good kick up the backside and say, you need to learn, mate. You've got it wrong. You need to learn some humility, (laughs) hallelujah. We'll get to humility in a minute. So the Bishop of God's steward must be blameless. Make sure your motivations are correct. Make sure you're doing what you're doing because not because you want to stick it to the man, but because actually you want to serve God and lay down your life. This morning when I was praying, I had this vision and in this vision, I was crucified. And it was like God was showing me that's the life of leadership. You literally get on a cross and have your hands pierced and your, and your, and your feet pierced and you hang there. That's, that's leadership. It's a crucified life. Indeed, it should be the life for all Christians. But to be a leader is a crucified one because you have to lay down your dreams. You have to lay down your aspirations. You have to lay down everything for the good shepherd and for his flock. He may not be self-willed or arrogant. Hallelujah. I don't know how I got the job. He may not be self-willed or arrogant. Again, there must be a rare, an air of humility about, the, about him. <sighs> you know, I, I remember when I was younger, I used to like, point the finger at the church and rant and rave at it. and no, it's this and it's that and it's all this and stuff. But then one day I realised that actually that's another man's bride. It is not my place. I'm not in a, I wasn't in a position, I'm not like some high up person in Christendom that I, I have the right somehow to, to say this is wrong. I know we've got to look around and say, you know, there's certain doctrines and things that aren't right. But it wasn't my place to write people off because they just didn't do things the way I like to do them. You've got to be so careful. So we can't be arrogant. You can't be a drunkard. Amen. So no getting drunk on wine. If you if you want to be in leadership you can't be one that just like burk, 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 get on like every every saturday friday night it's like you know just watch some tv <laughs> you, you can't be doing that you can't be violent uh-oh uh-oh <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's me done for you can't be you can't be you can't be violent or a greedy person he should on the contrary be hospitable a person who's hospitable is obviously a person that opens up the house, but not just do, not just that, but opens up uh, opportunities for hospitality. So, like my wife, um, you know what she's doing at the moment with the food and stuff upstairs. It's it's opening it up so that we can all just do life together and eat together and stuff. And it's it's that hospitality because that's what Jesus is like. You read Jesus in the Gospels, and he's always eating. Actually, unless he's fasting, but generally he's always eating, isn't he? I mean, I said that, I preached on this last Sunday. Even when his whole boatload of losers who betrayed him and everything, they're out just like casting their nets out. Oh, we're done for. And then Jesus comes around and says, hey, guys, let's do breakfast. It's like, really, Jesus, You got this whole boatload of people that betrayed you, you want to eat breakfast? Well, why not? Jesus liked food. A lover of goodness. Someone that loves the good way. Someone that loves God and, and, and is a good and kind person and a generous person. Someone who is steady, just. Just means righteous. Someone that can judge things correctly. You know, there are times where as a church leader I've had to judge a, a situation and sometimes there, you come to situations which aren't winnable. There is no, there's no way that actually in this scenario everyone's going to come out really happy and smiling. The only way we can do this is that someone is going to have to suffer here a little bit. Because sometimes in church, you see, again, a lot of people don't understand this. A lot of people are all about the individual. But if you want to be in church leadership, it also has to be about the wider picture, not about the individual. So sometimes the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And sometimes the needs of the one or the few outweigh the needs of the many. But that's just leadership. Man, if you want to be a leader, you're going to have to deal with some really difficult stuff. Now, I tell you, if, I, if they sent me to seminary and I was like the guy that was to like with new recruits, say you're all the new recruits for pastors, yeah, like your budding pastors, pastor wannabes and stuff. I want to be the bad cop. All right. And have a good cop. coming come in after me. But I'll be the bad cop and say, you know what? You don't want to do this job. And i would tell them some really horror stories and stuff. Because why? Because I'm just trying to like, I'm not going to do this job anymore. No, because I want people to understand the severity sometimes of the job. And, and, and the things that you're going to have to encounter and the things that you have to do. And the sleepless nights that you're going to have. And the tears and the prayers and, and the stress and the strain. And, of course, the super spiritual Christian would go, but, but, you know, Jesus will carry your burdens. It's all light and easy. Yeah, quite clearly you're not a leader. So, oh yeah, I know I'm being sarcastic, but I, I'm being pointed here because that's what I want to talk about today. I'm trying to be pointed. And, and also, leader must be self-controlled. Now, that doesn't mean you, you're devoid of emotion. You're not Spock. You know, that's a logical <laughs> captain. It's not like that. It's, it means that you don't just, like just explode on people you can't be in leadership and explode on people you might want to explode but you're self-controlled so you don't explode all right it's not that you can't have passion in you it's just that you've got to be controlled You've got to take, take a rein in it. Learn when to open your mouth. Learn to when to be quiet. Learn when it's a time to speak and a time not to say something. A time to put the nail on the, you know, to put, your, put the line in the sand. And another time, is like, does this really matter? Learn to choose your fights. Learn to choose your battles. In his teaching, he must hold fast to the authentic message. In other words, the good old-fashioned gospel. Hallelujah and good orthodox biblical doctrine. I'm always very sus of this is a new thing. This is a new thing that's gonna lead us into a deeper place with God. It's like, there's nothing new under the sun. It just goes round and round and round. And I'm so, so tired as a leader. I'm so tired of the same old heresies going round and round and round. I'm so tired of people moaning and groaning about the church and it's like, oh, I'm so tired of this. I'm only 50. Poor Moses, yeah, gosh, man. So, in his teaching, he must hold fast to the authentic message so that he will be able to both encourage men to follow sound doctrine and refute those that contradict it. So there's no place in this kind of uh, Mambi pamby church leadership where it's like, well, we're all just on a single tier and it doesn't really matter because I've done that. And guess what happens? You go absolutely nowhere. You just go round 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 because who's leading this thing? I don't know. I thought it was him. I thought it was her. We just go round and round and round. And then when some trouble comes up, it's like, who's going to deal with this? Well, nobody because we don't believe in leadership here because you know, leadership's of the devil. You know, all that kind of nonsense. I've been there. I've done it. And it doesn't work. Someone has to carry the can. And sometimes someone he has to do church discipline. That's another thing that, that doesn't get dealt with these days. Up oh, Church discipline. I mean, who do you think you are to discipline me? <laughs> as a friend of mine says, he says, I'm only as, a, I'm only as much as a, of a pastor as people will allow me. You can, say, you can say some stuff to some people and they'll take it. And you say it to other people like, that's it, I'm leaving. You know, pick up their handbag and off they go. And that's the guys. (laughs) So he will be able to encourage men to follow sound doctrine and refute those that contradict it. In other words, there's a place where you have to speak out against that which is wrong and you have to challenge people. And it's not nice. It's not comfortable. Do you know what? When I have to go and challenge people, I absolutely hate it. It breaks my heart that I even have to do it. i would do anything. You know, I'm one of these kind of guys, I don't like confrontation. I do anything to avoid it, but then eventually I get so far and I cannot avoid this. I've got to deal with it. And and so part of leadership is that you're going to have to do stuff that you don't want to do. There are many irresponsible teachers, especially from among the Jewish converts, men who are empty talkers and deceivers. These must be silenced. They are upsetting whole families by teaching things they have no right to teach and all for sordid gain. There's all kinds of doctrines that seep through church, you know, whether it's hyper grace or hyper this or hyper that. And, you know, that we have to say no to these things. And we have to have to, you know, sometimes just speak out to people and say, you can't be doing this. You can't be doing that. As it says, it, these people must be silenced. They're upsetting people. And I've seen time and time again where church leaders don't deal with the troublemaker in the church. And everyone's leaving because of the one troublemaker that no one wants to speak to. And it's like, well, when do we speak to the troublemakers causing everyone to leave? Because at the rate this is going to be, it's just going to be me and him. That's all that's going to be left. And also, you've got God on your case. Because here's another thing if you want to be in leadership. Is that almighty God, the chief shepherd, is going to call you to account. So, right... Well, what happened here with that person? Why did that happen? Don't please, don't think God is going to be Mr. Snuggles. He's an almighty, powerful God. Now, I know he loves me, and I know I'm not condemned to to, to destruction, but I do know I will be held account. Absolutely no doubt about it. And if you want to be in leadership, you've got to know that you will be held account. And I don't know about you, but that scares me. As for yourself, let your speech be consistent with sound doctrine. No, we're not going off after the new fads, but let be consistent in your teaching, be consistent in your doctrine. Sometimes, and I, I'm, you know, we get, I mean, I've been guilty of this in the past, and it comes with, with time and maturity, but we whipsaw all over the place. We go, I'm believing in this now. Whoo, I don't believe in that now. Whoo, I believe in that now. Whoo, I don't believe in that now. You're whipsawing all over the place. And then you're to the left, and then you're to the right. But if you want to be in leadership, you kind of have to bring that down a little bit. You've got to be consistent, because if you're not consistent then guess what? The people you're leading aren't going to be consistent. They're going to be up and down like a yo-yo with you. I learned a valuable lesson once when I didn't have a point of self control. And I was really fretful and fearful about something. And I was with my leadership team. This was like when we first planted the church. And I just kind of let out that fear. And it, it was really interesting to watch the instant effect it had on my leaders. They immediately caught it and then they were talking in fear and doubt and unbelief and oh you know what we're going to do and, that, and I, I, that, that was me, that was my fault and so as a leader you, you, there's things you just can't do you just don't get the freedom that maybe you get if you're not in leadership you've got to be so careful with what you say and what you don't say and who, and who I can actually speak to and who I can confide in it's a very lonely job being a leader well it shouldn't be but it is because there's some things I just can't trust people to know it's not because you're horrible, I don't trust you. It's just like, I, I, just, I just, you know, there's certain things that people just don't need to know about. You know, there's an underbelly to the church. <laughs> right? There's an underbelly to the church and it isn't pretty, but leaders have to deal with the underbelly. So what everybody else gets to see is the nice, pretty church. But there are an undercurrent to the church. It's not very nice. And we have to deal with it. So, and that's actually what we should be doing. So people can enjoy it and not get bogged down in it. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church where it all starts falling apart and you get sucked into the, into the, into the nitty gritty of actually what shouldn't be sucked into. And so I, I was a part of a, a church where there was like all, a leadership split almost and I saw firsthand the damage that it did to the congregation. And so I vowed that we would have processes in our church structures that if I went rogue or anything like that, or I decided to go completely potty, that there would be things in place so that you guys wouldn't get affected by my nuttiness. I would get dealt with by certain elders. I have an apostolic covering so that they, they if at a single phone call, they can come in and they can rebuke me and sort me out. It's as simple as that. Yeah? Or step me down. And, and their decision is final. So you guys don't have to get caught up in the nonsense of leadership stuff. That's all right. Anytime. (laughs) Tell the older men that they must be temperate, serious-minded and self-controlled. Likewise, sound in faith, loving and steadfast. And that's another thing that's difficult about this job, is that when you're younger than the people that you're pastoring sometimes, sometimes I just feel like this little kid just sat there on a chair swinging my legs, telling people what to do. And I just think, I, I, I look at these people, these are older people, and I think... I just don't feel like I'm in a place where I can do it. But God has said, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Similarly, the older women must behave in ways that befit those who belong to God. They must not be slanderous gossips or slaves to drink. Do I get an amen? <laughs> amen. Okay. Um, by their good example, they may, they may teach the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be sensible, chaste, busy at home. <laughs> kindly submissive to their husbands what version are you reading from thus the word of God will not fall into disrepute and so one of the key things about leadership is your life needs to be an example you must be some there must be something about you you know there's an old saying so what do you call a man who's got no one following him someone just taking a walk in the park so basically you must have something in your life that, that is that is drawing people to Christ there must be something in your leadership that actually makes people feel safe when they're around you. You see, in the, in the, in the West, when we, we, we take sheep and we, we tend to have sheep dogs and stuff to get them in the pen, but we're driving the flock. And that's very much how Western Church does things. Drive that flock, drive them. But in the Middle East, that's not how they do it. The shepherd walks ahead of the flock, and the flock just follow him. That's biblical leadership. Is that if you're going to be in leadership, whether it's running house, church, home groups or whatever, then you must be somebody and, and have something about you that people will aspire to. It doesn't matter even if you're like day one, like, oh, I've really got a lot going for me. But it's like, seek the Lord, seek his word, seek him and have something in your life that people will actually gravitate to. And they'll say, I trust these people. I trust this guy. I trust this woman. We've got to be a people that trust, that, that people can put their trust in. You know, people might ask, well, why why did you become a charity? You know, because obviously, you know, you're linking up to the government and the government are evil and stuff. I did it, actually, so that people can look at us and they can go online and they can see everything that we do and they can see where all that money goes. So I'm so we're invisible. We're transparent, rather. So you can look through us and you can see all of our accounts online. So you know where every dime has gone because we want to be accountable. We're not leaders are like, oh, you know, touch not the Lord's anointed, where you know we can just do what the heck we like and there's no accountability. It doesn't work like that. And that's another thing. You can't be like that in leadership as well. You can't be a control freak. Mm -hmm. Any control freaks in the room? (laughs) Amen. Control freaks. I mean this respectfully, but you've got to be careful in leadership. Because if you're quite if you're naturally a control freak, it means you like to administer everything, you know, and put everything in its box. (laughs) But people don't go in boxes. Well, you can try, but phew, they pop out again. You put them in, phew, they're out again. It's like, get, come here. put a, get back in the box. Okay? People don't, just not like that. And also people have problems. And you know, you say, well, no, if you're going to be in this church, you must do this and do that and do that. Well, welcome to the human race, because that person over there, she's got all these crazy problems going on from her childhood. And this person's hurting from a, from a bruised marriage or whatever, and that person's this. And, and everyone's not doing what they, you'd expect them to do. Because you're a pastor, so you have got to help them to fix it. Rather than trying to control them and put them in boxes and do as we say. So I'm going to move on to Peter now. This is from Peter chapter five, first letter of, of Peter five verses one to eleven. I'm not going to go through all of it, and I'll, I'll I'll end soon. I know I'm having a bit of a rant and a rave, and please forgive me. But I just want to I want to encourage you because you know house groups and house churches coming. But if you're going to do it. You've got to do it well. And, and there's, there is a high standard and there is a high bar. And it's not about sticking it to the man. It's not about we're not gonna do it that way because that's all Babylon. It's just a load of nonsense. What's, what are you gonna do when your church grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows? This is what you don't do. This is a true story. I read about this story and I, just, I, I was so upset by this. This guy, he became a really famous church leader. Okay, you probably never heard of him. <laughs> And uh, he, he became really famous, and, uh, and he just became convicted, it's like, well, it's all about house church. We've got to go into house church and stuff. And so he basically left his church and all of that, and went and started doing house groups and stuff, which is fair enough. But then in time, the house groups started to grow and grow. Why? Because this guy's quite clearly an anointed man of God. There's a calling on him, and it's working. So it's growing, and it's growing, and it's growing. And slowly but surely, it's coming back into what he walked away from. And then eventually, it became what he walked away from. And then he looked at it and said, I'm quitting the ministry forever, because this is not what I want it to be. And it's like, well, is that really the right response? It's just like, he became so locked into, only this model is correct, that when that model bloomed and blossomed and then became morphed into something, he didn't like it and walked away. I think that actually is a greater irresponsible thing than, than if he just stayed doing what he was doing. It's, it's, it's sad when you might say, well, we've got to live by our convictions. Sure, but not when your convictions are playing with people's lives. You know, what happened to all of those people? I know, I know of a church network where they had it in for the main leader, so he had to step down, which is fine. But then none of the other leadership had the, had the balls, so to speak, to run a church of that size. And so they just let the whole thing collapse. And in two years, that whole church, that whole network, I mean, we're talking like tens and tens of thousands gone over one night, just because their leaders just didn't have the stones to be able to run a church that big. What happened to all of those people? Where was that witness in that city? I can imagine that guy was brokenhearted, when he's like, what have you done? You know, I spent all my life building this thing and fine, I had to step down. But you guys should have carried it on. But you just let it go all because people just didn't have just didn't have the where to for to do it. So anyway, to the elders among you. I, a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering and sharing the glory that is to be revealed, make this appeal. So, OK, Paul is back saying, hey, guys. I was there with Jesus, I saw him suffer, I was right there at the beginning. All right. He's not bragging, he's quite, he's quite a humble man, but he's making it quite clear that, hey, I'm a fellow elder with you guys, I've got some merit here. All right? In other words, listen up. It says, God's flock is in your midst, give it a shepherd's care. And this is another thing. People get funny about oh, shepherds, shepherding, heavy shepherd movement, all this kind of stuff. But people do need to be shepherded. And that sounds really arrogant and really pretentious coming from me. But you need to understand is I'm not a shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. All right? Jesus is the big, is the great shepherd and I work under him. He's my boss and he says, do this, don't do that, blah, 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 and I have to do it. Okay? But people do need a shepherd. Jesus, when he's feeding the 5,000, it says he took pity on them because they, they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, and, and so you have to think, well, you know, I just, I just don't really think that's a biblical model. Well, why is it OK for Jews to have a synagogue and a rabbi, but Christians can't? And Paul changed everything. We moved away from the, not all of it, but in part we moved away from some of the synagogue model because he came up with things that never existed before. Apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, elders, deacons. They never existed before. I mean, he just, he obviously got revelation and he made these things because there is a calling and there's a mandate. And these people, this there, so is Ephesians four ministries, uh, where you'll read those 5 ministries, it said they are there for the bringing to the fullness of the maturity of the stature of Christ, bringing the body to that place of maturity. That is the part point of leadership. So if, and I'm not speaking to people here necessarily, I'm speaking to people listening to this. So if, if you're one of those people that wanna stick it to the man, and we don't want to do it this way anymore because that way is pagan and it's of Babylon and stuff. And we don't believe in these leadership structures. Well, then you've got a problem because the Bible insists, insists that there should be structure. Everything has structure. You look at a nice little daisy. Isn't that a pretty little flower? Yeah, but that daisy has minuscule structure which holds it together. You look at the, the, the ancient church of, of Israel in, and out in the wilderness, you read in the book of Numbers, you know, it was all situated around that wonderful tabernacle and the presence of God was there, so all the charismatics are happy because of that's going on, but yet there's still structure. You know, they, People were ordered to be in a certain place and a certain alignment around it. There was structure, there was order, there was governance. It's how God works. There is powers and principalities and archangels and seraphims and cherubims in heaven. There is a process of authority. Watch over the sheep willingly as God would have you do, not under constraint, oh, I don't want to do it, and not for a shameful profit either. There's not much money in being a pastor, by the way, guys, and that's not me putting out the hate and other playwrights. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, some people manage to make a lot of money out of it, but I'm not, I'm not really comfortable with that. Um, I was speaking to someone yesterday, and, and they were saying that this guy who wanted to plant more churches was saying, oh, we don't really want a church in that area because we won't get much money out of it. And that's like... Uh, That's really completely the wrong motivation. It breaks my heart when I hear things like that. Be examples to the flock, not lording it over those assigned to you, so that when the chief shepherd appears, you will win for yourselves the unfading crown of glory. Now, pastors, right, they basically walk the treadmill every day. If you're an evangelist, they get to go out and do tent crusades and see healings and miracles and hallelujah. But pastors, we just walk the treadmill every day. Same old, same old, same old, same old. You know, new people come in with the same old problems that we just have to deal with. And that's why, praise God, it says here that pastors or shepherds get a crown. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Glory be to God. I'm going to get myself a nice crown. Because it's fair, right? You know, the evangelists, they have great time, they have great fun. The prophets, they come in, they cause <laughs> havoc, and then they're gone again. You know? And uh, the evangelists, you know, and all of these guys, they have a great time, apart from the pastors and the teachers. We just have to put up with, like, you know, ooh, oh. But I'm saying, I love being a pastor, I'm not moaning. But, but I'm saying, if you want to be in leadership, and you want to do this kind of work, then uh, I'll give you a spade. Because <laughs> you've got to do a lot of that. There's a lot of muck that you have to deal with. Because why? Because God wants people set free. And it means you're going to have to get in the muck of people's lives. It means you're going to have to minister to people and learn things about people that, that are truly shocking. Not about them, but what the traumas and things that they've gone through. And you as a pastor have to be there in that and, 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 and help them through that. You see, the calling to I And mean, hopefully by the time I finish this, you should have this quite a sober opinion of what it is. To be a leader and so if you want to run house house church and you want to run a home church and all this kind of stuff then you need to understand that it's a wonderful thing to do and it's a very rewarding thing to do but it but there's a lot that's demanded of you as well and people will say oh well chris you know the reason why there's a lot of demand is because you're not doing it right well things are easier for me now than they've ever been before because i've got good leaders and stuff on the team now but but even so, I still have to do a lot. I still work a lot of hours every week, and as my wife does as well, we're still, still not, enough, not enough to get the job done. In the same way, you younger men must be obedient to the elders. And that's not talking about young men, respect your elders. It's talking about church leaders. That was one thing I wasn't very good at when I was younger. I mean, I kind of did respect them, but at the same time, I was like, Give me a little kick every now and then as well. I was one of those little sheep that bit, bit the pastor. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and it's that's that's not good. It shouldn't be like that. Uh, it says, uh, where are we? In the same way, you younger men must be obedient to the elders in your relations with one another. Clothe yourselves with humility. If there's one thing that I would say, especially to my younger set, self, is learn humility. Humility is so important. You haven't heard what I did this week. I went, I I, I was in town the other day, I'm so amazing, I'm so awesome, I'm so super spiritual. It's like, I don't care. If I go to a leadership conference, right, and I'm sat in a room full of leaders, guess who's the one that doesn't say anything? Me. Because I've got nothing to say. You know, all these guys, I mean, they're all good people, don't get me wrong, but I I just, they're just like, oh yes, and I've planted 60,000 churches, and I've done this, and I've done that. And uh, what have you done, Chris? I don't know, you know, whatever. Because I don't want to talk about myself. Because I think humility should be a hallmark of leadership. In that you don't have to brag. You don't have to uh, get all funnier and try and bring across your opinion. Actually, as a leader, sometimes you should just shut up. Because, like, when Jesus was being uh, accused of various things, people would say to him, say to his face, "I'm not going to listen to you. You're a bo- you're a person born of illegitimate birth." Now, here's the perfect chance for Jesus to put that rumour to, to, to rest forever. He could have just said, blah, 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 and it would have all been over, right? But what did he do? He just never answered the question. He was quite happy for controversy to be hanging over him because actually he knew who he was in, in God, and he didn't need to prove anything to anybody. And if you're a leader or you want to be a leader, you don't need to prove anything to anybody. Amen. The Bible says, humble yourself. And God gives grace to the humble, but he will resist the proud. And if you are proud, God will resist you. Hallelujah. Because it says, because God is stern with the arrogant, but to the humble, he shows kindness. So I don't know about you. I would rather have the kindness and the grace of God on me than me walking around, my chest puffed up. And look how awesome I am. I'm so amazing. I'm so mighty. Have you not seen? Have you not seen me? Ooh, excuse me, have you not seen me? Have you not seen how amazing I am? Have you not heard about my ministry? My wife had a dream the other day, and I guess it's a warning. And in this dream, she said, oh, in this dream, you were talking to these people and saying, I'm Chris Wickland. Have you not heard of me? <laughs> I said, that's definitely a dream. <laughs> I was like, okay, calm down, Chris. Stay sober and alert. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling, prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Solid in your faith, realizing that the brotherhood of believers is undergoing the same sufferings throughout the world. And the grace of all, God of all grace, who called you to his everlasting glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish those who have suffered a little while. Dominion be his throughout the ages. Amen. Hopefully I've painted a, a rather sobering picture Of leadership and so if you those listening to this on the broadcast and those here now if you feel like God is calling you to you know start a house church or anything like that wherever you're going and stuff that's great that's fine but please make sure you know I may be you might consider me a dinosaur you might go well you're one of them people from the those churches that do things the way Babylon does well that may be so I don't know I don't think so but let's say I am it doesn't deny the fact that I have been around a little bit and I do have some wisdom and I don't care, you know, you, you, and when you look at businesses and stuff and you go to those business seminars on how to be a better boss and stuff, they all say the same thing no matter what industry you're in. So the fact that I'm in church leadership, I've just learned a lot of things over the years, things that are good to do, things that are bad to do, things you should never do. And I've done it all. And so it's better to learn from someone else's mistakes than sit and make your mistakes again. For goodness sake, stop reinventing the wheel and learn from somebody who's been there. You know, that, that's that's why we need church fathers again in the church. People that we can respect, people we can look to and say, hey, babe, mate, back in the 70s, you went to all this. What did you do? We've got a guy that comes to the Titchfield congregation and uh, he, he, he experienced a great move of God back in Britain during the 70s and the 80s and stuff. And sometimes, you know, I go to him, say, look, this is what we're experiencing. How did you deal with that? And then he goes, well, this is what we did. It's like, oh, yeah, I get it. That makes perfect sense. You know, go speak to someone who really knows what they're talking about, rather than blundering around, just saying your arrogancy, thinking, I'm just going to sort this out for myself. I know better than anybody else. Because all you're going to do is just make an ass of yourself. Sorry, make an ass of yourself. And you're just going just to cause problems to people's lives. And here's another thing. I want to end with this. If you want to be in leadership. See, one of the things that I learned a long time ago was that the, the bigger you get, the more people you affect. And so we had to basically start getting apostolic um, advice and counsel from, from, from people because as we were growing, it was like if I made stupid mistakes, more people were going to suffer for it. And so that's why I then brought myself into something that's bigger than what we are, so I'm accountable. So people go, What's, who's this church accountable to? What are you a part of? Well, I can say what we're a part of. We're a part of Synergy Network, and I've got Apostolic, a guy that Apostolic covers me, and, and I meet with him every month, and he talks me through various things that I'm going through, and he's quite honest with me, and quite blunt with me sometimes, and, uh, but most of the time he's just full of good wisdom and good advice, and who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want it? I'm going to do it my own way. Well, good luck with that. I've done that. It doesn't work very well. And if you start getting lots of people coming, man, you're going to affect lots of people's lives. It's wisdom and goodness and kindness and grace and humility is a hallmark of a true leader. Not not how anointed you are. I've worked with people that are very anointed, but their characters are shot to pieces and I would never work with them because they are anointed by God. But they just don't have the character to handle that anointing. And I would rather work with people who've got character than people that are anointed at the end of the day. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I know this is a sobering talk, Lord Jesus, but Lord, you love your church and you will build your church, Lord God. But Lord, you want your church to be built well and built with joy. And, and Lord, you want there to be good leaders and good people, Lord Jesus, and people that want to take up that mantle, Lord God. And I pray you bless the people listening to this, Lord, that they, people out there go, yeah, I want to lead a house church. I want to start a home group or something. You know, I want to do this, that, and the other. Lord, I pray you bless them. I pray you anoint them and I pray you teach them. But I pray, Lord God, that they realize they don't have to do it by themselves. And we're all in this together, Lord Jesus. It's not about them and us and all this stuff. But Lord, it's all about us doing it together. Lord, to your glory, let us build your church Lord God, for your namesake and for your glory, and let it be something that you are pleased with, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.